0: Welcome to Star Joe's Podcast, Episode 110, The EU Strikes Back. I'm your host, Ryan.
1: And I'm Robert.
0: (laughs) And and, uh, if you only knew what happened before this episode started, you'd be laughing too. Um, (laughs) So we are back uh, with uh, some more Star Wars Expanded Universe goodness. Uh, Actually, Robert, we got a lot of good positive responses from the first one that people that said like, I'm not really reading these books or I, I'm kind of out of the EU but I like hearing you guys talk about it or uh, I read I've read some books but I haven't read I didn't read the one you guys covered but it was interesting maybe I might check it out uh, so so some really good feedback
1: yeah I, I was excited to hear that or because um, I think a lot of people are in the same position I was in or like you like saying that you had read some but certainly not all the ones you have mm-hmm. I think that's the case for most people and so this is a chance to You know, either for them to read along with us or, uh, you know, if they're not if they don't want to put all that time into it, you know, but to at least get feedback from what the expanded universe provides. And I think what I hope we can bring to it is not just a review of all the books, but being able to explain how these characters tie in and just get the scope of that greater universe, which I think we will get to with these initial stories, especially the last one we talked about. Uh, it's so far removed from that classic continuity and yeah. canon that everybody knows. There's only so much we can talk about that that does pull it in. But um, as we get closer to, you know, that zero date of the Battle of Yavin, yeah. then um, you know we'll get there, and I think we'll we'll be able to see all these other worlds and characters start to pull together.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna see even uh, I kind of equate it to almost like a bell curve, like. We're, you know like you said the first one there wasn't much out there and as we get closer to the the original trilogy there's so much more references so much more material and then as it gets farther away from the original tr- uh, trilogy it kind of tampers off again until you get out to the, like the legacy era and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, but it, it, it's kind of neat to see how it all ties into each other. Uh, there's definitely some references today that, that we're going to talk about and, and go over of things that were happening, uh, in the comics in this same era, but we're not directly tied to the stories that we're reading, but it was all in the same time period and everything else. And that's, I think mm-hmm. really interesting as well. um, and I think before we get into this story, one thing that we need to talk about just even briefly is some of the news that just came out when it comes to the expanded universe. Um, I don't know if you've been keeping up on your news, but Disney and Marvel have come out and said that uh the expanded universe, as far as the comics go, is going back to Marvel.
1: Um, oh, yeah. Um yeah, so I mean, is there, is how much information has come out about that?
0: Uh, they basically have stated that they uh, the only thing they've said is that they, the continuity is, in the comics is going to matter once Marvel takes over. So, in other words, there was always this like Canon A was the movies, Canon B was the other expanded universe. There was always multiple canons for Star Wars. Right. And sometimes, you know, it was always stated like, yeah, all this stuff actually, you know, all this stuff counts unless George Lucas makes another movie that discredits all of it. <laughs>
1: right. So it was always a possibility, but never for sure. Right. But uh, with the new, uh,
0: with Marvel taking over, every supposedly, and we'll see if how true this sticks. Everything is supposed to matter. Everything's supposed to count. So any books, any any comics, and everything else are all supposed to count as much as the movies do.
1: Oh, very cool. That's awesome.
0: So, we'll see if that happens, uh but they will be take Marvel will be taking over in 2015. Uh, the president of Dark Horse, uh, when he gave his statement, did sound a little salty about the fact that it's leaving them. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, can't, and I can't blame them. <laughs> I don't blame them. Uh, I, I love mean, what Dark Horse. They've has had done.
1: such a long history. Yeah, with the with the books. I mean, it only makes sense, really, with Disney owning both prop, or both companies. Yeah, it, I mean, everybody kind of knew it was inevitable. When I was talking to Dark Horse back last spring uh, about possibility of working with them, and I was like. Uh, we were really close to actually working on a deal where I was going to do some Star Wars stuff. But yeah. I was kinda of like, Well, what's the future of Star Wars? We're like, Well, we can only say so much and I could tell then that they were kind of PO oh, yeah. So they knew they've known for a while. Yeah. That the writing was on the wall, but um
0: and then the the other thing I wanted to mention with that is that there hasn't been no official word as far as what's gonna happen with the books uh if Delray will still have them, uh and Delray Ballantyne and Bantam, you know, they're kinda all one and the same at this point. Yeah. Um they've been doing the Star Wars books since 1977. Um yeah. so if they lose the licensing, they're really gonna be pissed. Um, <laughs> but in a in a good news kind of way is that if there is gonna be this all, all new continuity when it comes to Marvel taking over and everything's going to count, that even if Delray starts doing books, they probably will not fit into the continuity that we're covering on this show. So the good news is, Robert, is that even though there's going to be probably, a, by the time we're done uh, with this uh, books coming out for this continuity, they will probably be like 155, it'll stop at 155.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, we can at least cover this canon you know, of these books, yeah. Right.
0: And that's honestly how I'm going to view this. I'm going to view it as, you know, obviously we're going to continue doing this show and we're going to continue following the timeline that we're following. And I'm just going to view that as, it, as its own continuity. It's its own canon. It's its own timeline. And I'll relate it uh, and will relate it to uh, the comics that are all part of this continuity. And Dark Horse, those comics are always going to be out there. So, right. um, to To pick up in in trade or in the uh, in the bins at at conventions and stuff like that. So those stories aren't going anywhere. I still have a basement that has is full of those comics, and <laughs> um, so I don't know what's going to happen when it comes to the books. But obviously, it seems like they're going to be focused on that being its own new, fresh continuity, even if Del Rey is still the one that's going to be publishing them. So. Right. Um, so I thought it was important for us to to at least mention that as far as what news is out there right now. Uh, one thing uh, from the last episode, we did get a correction. I had said we were talking about the alchemy, the gross alchemy thing uh, in the last story. And evidently alchemy has been used before. Uh, and it's been used in stories that take place in the era that we're going to talk about today, which is the Tales of the Jedi time period. Oh, okay. Um, that there were Sith Lords that used alchemy and it was mentioned in those stories, and I just forgot. So uh, one of our listeners actually was uh, kind enough to to let me know that, and I was like, that's awesome. And that's the big thing, too, is listeners should realize, you know, ne- even though I know a lot, um, neither one of us are experts and remember everything.
1: Yeah, no, it- <laughs> I, I really hope everybody kind of pipes in. If there's something either we're, we're getting wrong or don't know, then, yeah, please yeah. let us know, because yeah. I think it's better just to have that more full, hopefully we can pull on our collective knowledge and then absolutely know, put that together in the podcast. So
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I have no problem coming back and saying, Oh, we, you know, we were wrong about this. And, um, and even if I said it, it's going to be we're we were wrong about this. Um, so this way, Robert's included too. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> and if I say it, it's just me. It's right. It's <laughs> if,
0: if Robert says something, he's wrong. It's just going to be Robert that was wrong. That's okay. how this, As that's how, know, goes. that's how this show works. <laughs> remember i do the editing so
1: Uh, exactly it doesn't matter what i say really (laughs)
0: um but the other thing i uh, we forgot to do last time and i want to make sure we do it this time is last time we did forget to mention the next stories that we were going to be covering um Mm, so if if you can help try to remind me at the end of this episode uh to mention the next stories that we'll be covering so this way if someone wants to read ahead uh, they can do so.
1: Yeah, okay. I thought we had, but I guess apparently not. So yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll certainly do that.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh at least when I listen back to it, I don't remember us saying it. So if we did, then Robert's wrong. So
1: uh. <laughs> I am Chuck <laughs> Jr. What happened?
0: <laughs> um so anyways, the stories that we covered uh this time uh come from the uh, Stories of Lost Tribe of the Sith. And these were a bunch of novellas. They were written by John Jackson Miller, uh, who's no stranger to Star Wars. Uh, He's written a lot of comics, including one of my favorite series in the Dark Horse comics, which is uh, the Knights of the Old Republic series, which was about 50 issues long and was absolutely amazing. Although he has also written one of my least favorites, (laughs) which was Knight Errant. Uh, I didn't think it was as good as his Knights of the Old Republic and (laughs) stuff, so... Uh, um, so it, I, I It's
1: interesting you br- you bring that up. I'm actually looking at that right now cuz um I just as I was look- kind of flipping through some Star Wars sites I saw that um um that Tfa website things from another world. Yeah. Uh tfa.com. Right now they have 50% off of a lot of Star Wars trades, comics trades. Okay. Uh for their nick and, nick and dent sale. So <laughs> if it's if it's even just slightly Speed up, then they sell it for fifty percent off. And I was just now looking at The Knight Errant and Knights of the Old Republic, and you're like, "This one sucks. This one's good." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, okay. Knights,
0: Knights of the Old Republic is awesome. <laughs> good to know. Uh, Knight Errant, not so much." Um, oh, I'll pass and, on Yes, and to be honest, uh, that w- is what kind of made me a little leery. Uh, mm-hmm. And he also wrote uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith, the comic, uh, which was a mini series, um, right. and I didn't think that was very good either. So I was like, "Was it a fluke that he just wrote Knight, uh, Night's Little Republic so well?" and And his rest of his writings not so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was very leery getting, going into this these novellas right. um, because of that, and uh, I and not to give anything away. I know we kind of talk about it as we go along and, and we kind of wrap it up at the end, but I was pleasantly surprised when I read these stories. And, and we can go more into that as we go on. But yeah. overall, I really liked liked these stories, so.
1: Cool. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I, me too. I think uh, it was interesting to kind of see, uh, we'll get into it, but um, kind of how the Sith transition, yeah. Um. you know, uh, from previous iterations of the Sith to kind of eventually what we understand the Sith to be and why, you know, the Empire is so human, you know. Yep. Driven as opposed to other aliens and that kind of stuff, so we really see the kernel of that starting to happen. Yeah, that all was really cool. I like that.
0: Really yeah, and and I will say too, if anyone, if you listen to this episode and this and this sparks interest for you, that you kind of like what you're hearing, um, these stories were actually free on uh, uh, digitally, like through a Kindle or something like that the stories we're covering today. Now there were, there was one last story that was not free. <laughs> he, I think there was, uh, seven or eight total novellas that he wrote, right. um, uh, maybe even nine. And that very last one was not free. You had to get the collected stories book to get the very last story. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but these first three that we're covering, we're only going to cover in this episode, the first three novellas, which is precipice skyborne and paragon. Mm-hmm. Those you can actually get for free um, digitally. So, uh, going, yeah,
1: I, I didn't books. know that. I kind of wish I had, but, um, <laughs> I, but I did buy the collected and I'm glad I did, but it, and even that wasn't like terribly expensive. Just getting, no. getting the ebook collection. I mean, it was like maybe $7 for, yeah. for all, you know, the different stories together.
0: And I, and I actually got, this was one of the, the lost tribe of the Sith, the collected stories was actually, uh, one of the six missing books that I didn't have. And I actually got, oh. uh, got it for Christmas. Um, cool. and I'm happy to report now that I am no longer missing six books from my collection. Uh, I now own all the Star Wars books that are out.
1: <laughs> Every single one, all yeah. 155.
0: All hundred, yeah, oh, hundred and fifty-one, hundred fifty-two, wherever they are right now. Oh, so, right, okay. Um, yeah, because there are more that's going to be coming out, but uh, wow. but yeah, I think there's 151 or 152, and I own all of them now. So, man, that's uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You should see my wife's eyes when I mention that to her. Uh, <laughs> so so um, one thing I thought was important before we start getting into the actual story is there was some uh, information that took place before the stories that we read um, that I thought would be good to, to read. Uh, and this is from Wikipedia. Uh, these stories take place on a planet called Kesh, K-E-S-H. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, in its history, um, I'm going to try to go through this pretty quick, uh, there's a, a time period called the Great Calamity, and this time period was discussed in the comics miniseries of Lost Tribe of the Sith, which, like I said, wasn't very good, <laughs> but yeah. but it did talk about, it had little flashbacks to what happened before the stories. That we're gonna read are, and that mini series uh, in the comics actually takes place after all the stories in Lost Tribe of the Sith collected stories. So just okay. just to, just to let you know, as far as when that comic takes place. Um, but then they do, like I said, flashbacks and everything else to, tie, to stuff that happened before the stories that we're covering today. So so in regards to the Great Calamity, uh, Kesh was the homeworld of the purple-skinned near-human Kashiri species. Uh, the two Kashiri civilizations were known to have developed on the continents of uh, Keshta Minor and Alasierre. Due to its remote location and strange magnetic field, which inhibited hyperspace travel and off-world communications, Kesh remained isolated from the rest of the galaxy for much of the galactic history. Kesh's first known encounter with with Off-World was occurred during the aftermath of the Hundred-Year Darkness, when two rival groups of Force users, Dark Jedi faction led by the Sith Lord Remulus Drapa and their Jedi pursuers, became stranded on Kesh. Uh, Drapa had been part of a group of dark Jedi who had been exiled to the Stygian Caldera following the Battle of Corbos, which is a mouthful to say. Uh, he sought to return to the galaxy and get revenge against the Jedi and the Galactic Republic. After they left the Stygian Caldera, they were pursued by the, by a Jedi force which had devoted itself to protecting the Republic from the exiles should they return. After a a chase across the galaxy, the two forces crash-landed on Kesh, where the Jedi and the former brethren of their legions clashed. These force-wielders triggered the Great Calamity, or Great Cataclysm, which traumatized the native Kashiri, who later remembered the event as a titanic battle between two rival groups of gods and right. this is all going to play into the stories we're reading. Yeah. There's the Protectors and the Malevolent Destructors. Uh, the Kashiri geologist Adari Val, who's in our story, mm-hmm. later speculated that this great cataclysm triggered the separation of Keshta and Alasiar
1: The two major continents.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, ultimately, the Jedi and Sith grew disillusioned with their rivalries and declared a truce. The Dark Jedi imprisoned their f- fanatical leader Drapa within an obliate while, uh, while the Jedi hid their last remaining hyperspace-capable starship beneath the Kashiri village of Tav's Circle Eternal Plaza, which is where our story takes
1: place. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so in, our whole, in the stories we've read so far, no one knows that there's a hyperspace starship underneath them.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, well, we'll talk about it, but it's kind of a – they're a stranded situation. So.
0: Yep. Uh, the former Jedi and Dark Jedi then migrated to the southern polar continent of Eshkreen, where they f- uh, founded a Force-sensitive community known as the Doomed. Uh, they dedicated themselves to finding a true balance within the Force, kind of going back to what we talked about in the Dawn of the Jedi, where they right. are trying to find that balance, and also maintained a constant vigil over the impris- imprisoned Drapa, uh, Remulus Drapa they also watched over kashiri and the sith tribe the doomed also built a city which was held together by the for, uh, by their force of will over the successive millennia certain species within the community became extinct as their members died out so basically there was this dark jedi remulus who is held prisoner and his overseers eventually they watch over him but they eventually all die out so there right. were jedi and sith on this planet before our story took place.
1: Right. And then there's uh, the way that the natives viewed these people. It becomes basically like a religion. You know, they see them as gods and, and then very much like tribal kind of legends and mythology. They end up using that to explain, you know, uh, the way the world works and all that kind of stuff. So, so that, that leads up to our story where these natives are once again, um you know uh put put in put in proximity or shown you know the, the sith but basically somebody who is with force powers and then yeah that plays a big part into the story
0: Yep, and and it's the uh and we'll get into it but it'll be like the the kashiri is the purple skinned right uh beings that i was just mentioning in the in the story before they're the they're the natives of cash so
1: so where so where 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 was all this previous information? All that lead up, where was that from?
0: That that was all. Well, it was, it was from Wikipedia, but the reference of where it's from, yeah. <laughs> it was actually in that uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith mini series comic.
1: Okay, uh, so all of that information is in the comic, the yeah. Lost Tribe of the Sith.
0: Yes, okay. but it but that like you said, that Lost Tribe of the Sith comic, in my opinion, really wasn't worth reading. Although now that I've read some of this story again, much like the Dawn of the Jedi one, it yeah. might. be be better a better read a second time now that i'm reading the the actual novels
1: uh, yeah that'll be really because i think that's definitely something we can provide on this show is is combining that comic world into the novels because i think then yeah. you do get that more full uh, yep. appreciation of the world because you might read the comic and be like eh, but then when you read the book and you have yeah. all of this uh, information built on the layers that were established through the comic. Exactly. Then it does make it a more full story, and it makes you, it gives you that more appreciation or even a better interest in that previous story that you didn't think much of before.
0: And especially in this case, when you think about it, like I said, that mini comic, the main story in that in that mini series—I shouldn't say mini comic, but the mini series—that yeah. um, main story in that takes place after all the stories in this book, in the collected stories. So this collected stories is probably going to give me a better background for everything that led up to that mini series.
1: So, so, we, so I will, I mean, you'll probably find out after we read all these, but do you think it'd be better to read all the eBooks series yes. and then go back and read the comic series yes. to get that that full story of this time period in this world?
0: Absolutely. Because yeah. like I said, it's it, what I'm reading in this book. Like I said, all takes place before that mini series and it's, and it's making me curious. Like, okay, when I read that miniseries, I didn't know any of this stuff that happened. Right, And it made me kind of clueless, which was part of the par- part of what made me not enjoy it so much. Mm. And I think... Because you done- couldn't
1: really put it into context. I mean, right. it's its own little weird small story, yeah.
0: Right. And I didn't understand this world and everything else, where now I understand this world a lot better. Right. Um, so I think once I'm done with this, uh, once we're done with this, uh, this collected stories book... I think I'm going to go back and read that miniseries and see if it's any better.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. I would like to hear what you think about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we do cover, maybe when we do cover the very last story in this, uh, in that episode, I'll have already read the miniseries again, uh-huh. and I can report back in that episode about that too. So. Okay. Um, but let's, let's go ahead and jump into the, the first story here, uh, which is Precipice. Uh, there, again, there's three stories, they're novellas. Each one's only, what, like 30 pages long?
1: Yeah, it's not, it's like four chapters. It's really not hard to read at all.
0: Yeah. Um, so Precipice, and the great thing I like that they did with this was that each chat, uh, each novella, they talk, they specify exactly when it takes place. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they the first two take place at the same time period, but the third one, uh, the third novella takes place years later. So they actually specify in in uh, this collected edition when they take place. So Precipice takes place five thousand years before the Battle of Yavin. Right. Um, so in chapter one, and and as always, Robert, I, as you know, jump in with anything that stood <laughs> out for you.
1: <laughs> oh, I enjoy interrupting you all the time.
0: I know. <laughs> and I appreciate it because you always have fun things to say so whether they're insightful or ridiculous so. right <laughs> <laughs> um, so Captain Yaru Corson uh, was commanding the ship the Omen mm-hmm. uh, which was transporting lignin crystals uh, with a crew of Sith and Masasi warriors and I do need to stop briefly um, to let you let people know what the lignin crystals are. And what the Masasi warriors are?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, lignin crystals were powerful lightsaber crystals crafted from lignin ore, which enabled the blade of a lightsaber to last longer and burn hotter than a normal crystal would. Mm, okay. So that's why they're so important.
1: Right. And I mean, and there was like a huge load of it. I mean, yeah. it was a lot. So. Yeah. Um. The uh the the mm. Sith Lord Naga Sedau is that uh Sado? is Sado. how i
0: say it but yeah it could be said yeah.
1: so so Nagasato, i mean he's he's the the big man on campus he's the guy who's in charge right who yep. is expecting this shipment to basically affect this battle that's going on or about to take place and um you know so this shipment better arrive or else it's yeah. kind of the idea
0: exactly um and then the masasi uh, warriors, the Masasi was actually a subspecies of the ancient Sith race. Mm-hmm. So remember what we talked about last episode, the Sith were not, uh, in the past, were just a, a species. They weren't actually the Dark Jedi. Right. In this time period, they are the Dark Jedi, but they're also a race of of uh, a species. So um, so the Massassi were actually a subspecies of the Sith race that was enslaved by the exiled Dark Jedi on Korriban, uh, Masasi were fearsome, loyal, and formidable warriors, uh, and as much, uh, and as such com- uh, comprised the warrior class of the Sith system. Uh, they lived solely to serve their Sith masters, but when on their own dedicated themselves only to whatever life they chose.
1: Now have you, have you seen visuals of what these characters look like? I mean, yes. are they in the comics?
0: Yes, they're in the comics quite a <laughs> bit. In fact, uh, we're going to talk about some of the comics, uh, probably after we go through these stories. Right. Um, I definitely have some comics to refer you to and refer our listeners to where you will see the, the Masasi warriors and what they look uh, like.
1: Cause I was going to say the, the way they're described it's almost like they're bestial, you know, just that they're yep. hardly even, I'm, you almost get the point. Like they're, they're barely humanoid almost compared to a regular red sith in some um, cases
0: they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're I just, absolutely correct on that. So,
1: so I got the impression that they were formidable, but in this story, you don't really see it. <laughs> so right. I was like, these guys kind of suck, you know, because of what happens. But um, anyway, but you so like s- to
0: get into that. Yeah, they are powerful. Um, in the comic stories, so and, okay. you, and you'll see that. Uh, but you also know where? Also, you've heard the word Masasi before uh-huh. in Star Wars. Uh-huh. Uh, a little p- planet we like to call Yavin Four. Uh, where the rebels were staging their battle to go yeah. against the Death Star, they were staging their battle in the Masasi Temple.
1: Ah, okay, very cool.
0: So that's that it has a tie in to the movies and, right that so that's
1: aspect. kind of an ancient uh building or temple that the Masasi either built or were yep uh, a headquarters for them or something
0: exactly and when when we're uh done going over these stories, at least I'm going to refer to the comics, but I'm also going to give you a background on Nagasato, uh mm-hmm. and it, and the Masasi and Yavin four and stuff like that are gonna come up again when we talk about him, so cool um. But I always like whenever I kind of like to refer back to the movies. Um, yeah, since that, yeah. So people know. So all right. So the ship, uh, the Omen, finds itself under attack. The captain calls to his serpent-haired engineer, Lojoy, uh, to see if they can gain some t- uh, type of control back. But nothing could be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gloyd, who is uh, G L O Y D, who is a Hulk, H O U K, and a Hulk is i looked it up it's um best way to describe it for people to get a visual is kind of take uh dexter jetster from the prequel movies who is the diner owner mm-hmm. uh but don't give don't give them multiple arms like give them just okay. two arms and make them more muscular than fat right <laughs> <laughs> but buddy he, buddy he, that's what a hook kind of looks like it's it, it kind of looks like Dexter jetster with only two arms instead of four arms and more muscular. Right. So, uh, so Gloid is the gunnery officer. Uh, and he's, uh, called for something to, to, he calls for something to shoot at because he'd rather die in battle than just helpless on a ship.
1: It it was interesting because at the beginning of the story, you know, he has kind of the same sense of humor as the captain and he seems a little more intelligent at the beginning of the story compared to the end where he just seems like a,
0: he's just kind of like a guy that stands there.
1: Yeah. Kind of a (laughs) gopher, you know, and and muscle for the captain, but he, he, he just gets less and less credit, I guess (laughs) throughout the story. But starting in the beginning, I really liked him as a character because of his sense of humor and just how he looked at things. But then we kind of get less and less of that as you go. But
0: yeah, uh, no, I totally agree. And, and actually this first, uh, story precipice, uh, for me at least initially was kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until we get to Skyborne and Paragon that I felt like, holy crap, this is all coming together now for me.
1: There was a lot of setup, mostly for the cat. Well, it's important to point out too: this first story and the second story are told from the captain's point of view. Yeah. And, you know, the captain is uh Yari or Yaru Corson. Corson right. Yep. And, um, so he's the captain who we really kind of follow along. He's a human. Right. Yeah. And uh, who has come up through the ranks of the Sith very quickly within the space of ten years, and yep. in the in the first five years he had become a captain, and within ten years he would even out maneuvered his father, uh, who was also in the Sith Navy, yep. uh, to even be able to captain or be, be the commander of the Omen ship, yeah. which is kind of the best of the fleet when it comes to these types of cargo ships. Yep. So, um, but there were. As they were leaving, there was two ships, the Omen and the Harbinger.
0: Harbinger, yeah. Uh,
1: the Harbinger was piloted by a fallen Jedi, which I found interesting. Yeah. It kind of makes me wonder like, what that story was, you know, but they don't even get into it. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that the Omen was the ship everybody kind of wanted to be on. Like it talks a little bit about the, uh, uh, Yaru being a good commander. He doesn't like, he's not too hard on his crew, but they all kind of right. make it through that kind of thing. And the, the Harbinger was the its partnership or sister ship. They yeah. were both loaded with these crystals as, um, as cargo and supposed to make it to this you know, battle site. And they're attacked by a Jedi Starfighter uh, that kind of attacks the defenses. And right before they're jumping into hyperspace, uh, the Harbinger ship was attacked and then rams into the Omen. Right, which knocks them off course right as they shoot it off into hyperspace.
0: Yep, exactly. And uh, and then on the ship uh, also is Devore or Devorie, uh yeah. Corson, which is Yaru's brother, like uh, a
1: half brother, right?
0: Yeah, like a half brother, exactly. Um, and he believes that the the collision and everything else was uh, the fault, uh, and the and the attack itself was the fault of the navigator, which was Boyle uh, Marcom. Right, M A R C O M. Uh and, and Boyle Markham was also the navigator for Yaru and divorce father um okay. in the past. So during Marka Ragnos's mm-hmm. rule. Marka Ragnos is a, a a Sith lord uh who plays a a role in the comic series that oh, okay. that I'll that I'll mention uh after we go through these stories.
1: So yeah, one thing about all the, the Star Wars Books. I mean, there's so many names thrown out there. Yeah. The names of planets, names of characters, and you never know when there's a deeper meaning behind the name of this. And so that's, I think, what I also like when you say like this Marco Ragnos being a part of the comic series. You always wonder that every name that's dropped. You're like, doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Why use this? (laughs) Why drop the name in the first place? Unless it stood for he was a major character in another story arc. So it always makes me wonder. And that's really neat. To. Here, that's yeah, you.
0: yeah, Marco Ragnos is basically Nagasado's uh superior.
1: Oh, okay. So he's even higher up. Right. All right, cool.
0: Um in an attempt uh to uh although at this point in this in the story in this era, Marco Ragnos is, is deceased at this point.
1: Oh okay. So so, so is Nagasado like the the big man? He's trying to be.
0: Ah, oh, I see. Uh he has a uh an opponent, Ludo Cresh who also is mentioned in, in these stories. Uh, Ludo Kresh and Nagasedo are both vying for control after Mark, Mark Aragnos uh, passed away.
1: Oh, that's right. And that was kind of confused, too, because his name is Ludo Kresh. Right. And the planet we're talking about is Kesh. It's Kesh, yes. And I was like, this name sounds <laughs> familiar. Well, I was all confused. And you're like, well, it's probably because of this. I'm like, oh, right
0: Right. <laughs> um, so, in an attempt to escape, they engage the hyperdrive, uh, but in exiting, they're collided by the Harbinger, as you mentioned, uh, and this causes them to careen through hyperspace pretty much unguided. They don't know where they're going. Because uh, keeping in mind, this is a time period where there's, like, hyperspace lanes. It's not yeah, there's like... there's gates that you follow. Yeah, there's certain paths you have to follow, so they're kind of knocked off that path. Uh, they pull themselves out of the hyperspace by utilizing the force, and this is really when we find out that these... People can use the force because mm-hmm. it really wasn't shown for yeah, sure. You know that uh, until this perfect. moment, right? Uh, so they reconnect some equipment at a distance, and then they crash land on a planet, and that was basically the end of chapter one.
1: Right. Um, so and you know as they as they crash land on this planet, yeah, we don't want to get I guess too detailed in the summaries, but um, otherwise this will take forever. But <laughs> the um, so as they crash land, you know, you really get a sense of Yaru as a captain. Throughout the course of this, I mean, he, there's a reason why he's been promoted so quickly and so well. I mean, it, it is out of merit, you know, he, he's able to, uh, confidently take control of the situation, even though it's out of control, you know, he's so do the best he can. He's making decisions as they're about, as they're entering the atmosphere, like, uh, well, one, they come out of hyperspace with part of the ship missing. I mean, there was an explosion in hyperspace and it says, uh, it just basically disappears as opposed to there being like an explosion. But just as something was breaking off the ship, it just goes out of hyperspace at that moment. So as the whole ship comes out of hyperspace, it's like missing parts of itself. Um, so there's no way to necessarily control it. It, It's out of control and entering the atmosphere of this planet. You know, they don't know if it's just a gas giant or if there's actually is, if there actually is any land masses. Right. Which it was interesting. There's some notes by the, uh, the author, John Miller, um, he was, like, just asking that question, you know, as you're entering a new planet that you haven't charted and you don't know anything about, he goes, how, how would you even know that, there's, that there is land masses there? Right. You know, it, you just don't know until you come through that atmosphere. And if it's a gas giant, the, the atmosphere itself is going to crush you. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of cool because never, I've never really thought of it that way either. So uh, as he comes in, they do notice that there's land. And he's thinking, well, I could dump the ship in the ocean. Uh, which would probably save most of the crew, or I could dump it on the land, which would save most of the cargo. Right. And he chooses to drop it on the land. <laughs> yeah. So, again, that kind of gives you an idea of who this captain is, yep. which is kind of that decision alone. Um, they do land. As they land, they hit this kind of incline, so they're sliding down the side of this mountain. And all the only land they see is mountainous, kind of volcanic right. uh, mountain ranges that are sticking up out of the ocean. And yep. they hit this incline, slide down, and their to go over the edge, basically, and plummet into the ocean anyway. But they get caught right on the edge, basically, they're kind of speared by a rock, yeah. And that uh, keeps them up on the precipice, which is the, the precipice of this hence, story. story. to say, hence <laughs> the name of the title, right? So, as um, a couple foreshadowing moments, as they come flying in the atmosphere, they get they ram right into a flying animal that's like a winged animal. Yeah. Bounces off the windshield, basically. Um. They land. Uh, let's see. Basically, they, they get everybody out of the ship as quick as they po- possibly can. I think there was over three hundred uh, members of the ship. Uh, yeah, three hundred fifty five people.
0: Yeah, and, and that, as, actually get, that actually gets into into chapter two is where they start describing that. Um, oh, okay.
1: I was gonna say yeah, and then there was twenty some people died. Yep. through the yep. course of the of the ship, and then so that you're kind of left with this just over three hundred people that. Uh, Yaru's kind of uh, in charge of now, and they're just yeah. trying to s- survive on this mountain. That's what's yeah. kind of
0: the yeah. end. Yeah, so we have, uh, in Chapter 2 we, is when we actually find out that it was uh, the Sith Lord, Nagasato, who sent them on the mission to obtain the crystals right. in, uh, in one of his efforts to defeat the Jedi uh, and to vie for control of the Sith. Uh, as you mentioned, 355 uh, initially survive uh, the crash, as they all escape the ship, uh, the Omen, which is, uh, is on a precipice, uh, of a mountain cliff. Uh, it's on fire. So they all get out. (laughs) Um, and 16 injured die during the night as they are heading down Mm -hmm. and five die falling as they're climbing down.
1: Yeah. It's like a narrow path just to even get kind of off the, the top of this mountain. Yep. Um, but then Yaru goes back up, right? That's at the end of the story. He yeah, goes back up, eight. and yep. D'Vor is there. His brother, yep. his half-brother, is, is there kind of waiting for him. Yep. So
0: uh, we get Ravelin, R-A-V-I-L-A-N. Oh, yeah. Uh, is a red Sith, uh, and he was the the keeper of the Masasi. Right. Because, uh, like you said, they're kind of more bestial and everything. Uh, and he noticed that the Masasi were starting to get sick uh, from just the air. Yeah. Just immediately. Yeah. And they're dying slowly. Um, there was a debate on staying with the ship and whether or not to try to contact Nagasato. Uh, but all of them knew that if they contact Nagasato, that it would mean death.
1: (laughs) Right. Because they failed in delivering the crystals.
0: Exactly. Uh, uh, which was uh, Corson's uh, half brother, uh, kills Markham with his lightsaber, and he and he says, "Well, he he attacked me," because uh, Corson doesn't actually see it happen; uh, right. he just sees the aftermath. Uh, and that was and, the
1: Navigator, right?
0: Yes, that was the Navigator. Yep, uh, Devore, along with Sela, who is referred to as his female, um, <laughs> was the only way Corson could actually describe her. <laughs> yeah. um, Devor's and, woman. Yeah, and uh Jariad, J A R I A D, which is Sila's son, uh and Devor's son, yeah. divorce son as well, right. Um so Devor disputes that uh his brother's decisions and uh, they were seen uh, later uh, and Sila were seen later speaking with others secretly. Um, Yaru witnesses this with Gloyd. Uh, and fears that the future of uh, what the future might bring. Uh, so then we get into chapter three, which is where we find out that the Masasi all die due to the air. Right. Um, and then more of the injured uh, die climbing down from the mountain than even before. Uh, some die from animals trying to eat. Uh, they like they try to eat oh, some yeah. animals and Ugh. they die from that.
1: Yeah, the, the meat of the animal was poisonous. It killed somebody immediately, just yep. trying to,
0: to eat it. <laughs> and then some of them died just from starting to fight each other. They, yeah. they, and he actually quotes that uh, they start becoming tribal, uh, hence Lost Tribe of the Sith.
1: Yeah, well, like, immediately. <laughs> this isn't even one day later. I mean, they. Right. this is through the night.
0: Yep. So Yaru decides to go back to the ship and release a beacon to save them all, even if it meant his death uh, by Nagasato. But right. when he arrives back at the ship, he finds Devor already is there.
1: Yeah, and Devore's like, you know, you can check out the transmitter if you want, but it's basically burned out. Yeah. I mean, there is a transmitter tower, but all the electric electrical components inside of it are just de- destroyed. There's nothing left.
0: Yep. And then uh, Devor actually attacks Corson. And uh, uh,
1: he's like completely hopped up on Spice. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> called, uh, it's, he's hopped up on Spice. It's called Red Rage. Yeah. Um uh, and it makes, you know, it gives him adrenaline and everything else and it makes
1: him more powerful. Yes. Yeah.
0: And he he attacks uh Corson and everything else and uh eventually finds himself uh hanging over the uh, the ledge of the precipice.
1: <laughs> yeah, they kind of they kind of battle back and forth, shove each other around using using the force, you know, um and you know, Devore just kind of gets the short end of that stick, you know, just like he gets knocked off the edge and he's hanging off yeah. the edge.
0: And uh, and he and Yaru grabs him by the arm, but then releases him.
1: Yeah, just yeah. uses the, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> lets him go. Ah.
0: Yeah, up the edge. Um. So then we get into chapter four, which is the end of the precipice story, uh, and that's where we get Yaru heads back down the mountain. Uh, he states that he sent the distress signal, so he basically lies to everybody. Right. Uh, Cela, uh, asks where Devore is but yaru says that he never saw him up there
1: but uh, she kind of knows
0: yeah and yaru reflects that while he was up uh while he was on the mountain in the omen uh he saw a large winged beast again just like you were talking about before uh and he as uh, it it seemed very similar to the one that he saw uh when they were crashing right. um except this time he noticed that the beast had a rider on it
1: right
0: so dun 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 yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought, it, as we were reading this, I thought that that was interesting because there was in that last book we read, wasn't there like some short story at the end of it that yes. had to do with like people flying these riding these uh, yes. you know riding these flying creatures? I was like, oh, is this somehow connected? But I don't think it is at all.
0: No, I don't think it is. But uh, but yeah, there's always going to be some similarities like yeah. that. So um, so then we get into Skyborn, and Skyborn it takes place five thousand years. Uh, just like the precipice story. Yeah, and
1: this but, picks up right after that first
0: yeah. story. Um, and the the planet is called... Uh, this is when we find out the planet is called Kesh. Uh, and there's a town called Tav. T-A-H-V. Yeah,
1: I, I, this is interesting how this one started. Because I was like, it starts off following uh, this, m- this major character, Adari. Uh, yeah. Val, Val or Vale. Yeah. Um, and I was like, is this... Are these supposed to relate? Yeah, I had no idea that these well, were
0: the actually thing, yeah. And the thing the that same was in, story. the thing that was interesting for me was I didn't know if they were supposed to relate because again they were all novellas, they were all separate novellas, so I didn't know if the stories were gonna be yeah. Directly so
1: tied at the end of so. that first that uh, precipice, I was like, okay, like yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if there was an, ever an ending. I was right. like, well, if that's its own story, like all right, but yeah. And as we started this, you don't even realize that they connect until adari story finally connects in connects with with this mountain you know with, with right. the, what's going on with the omen and the precipice the and the sith and everything, and everything. Yeah. And that was go, the thing. i think it's the whole first chapter at least and maybe what in yeah. the second chapter before you, you don't know yeah you find out
0: and the thing is like uh the fir- the precipice story deals uh focuses totally on corson right um Skyborn totally focuses on Adari in her point of view. And then we'll find out that Paragon actually deals with another character yeah. uh, who, who we I thought at first was a very minor character. <laughs> yeah. then, then we find out she's not so minor. <laughs>
1: well, you know what? I wonder if that's why. Um, What what was his name again? That big kind of Hulk, Hulk or Hulk? Uh, Gloyd. Yeah, Gloyd. Maybe that's why he's portrayed differently because yeah. they're told from different points of view. Different so, perspectives, yeah. Yeah, I mean that first story was told by a uh, Corson's perspective, and he actually admired this character and liked right. him, yeah. and it was kind of his right hand man. So that's why he kind of came across as more intelligent. And then the other points of view, they look at him just kind of as that hulking, you know, just kind of ignorant, you know, massive type of uh, alien, you know, yeah. and they don't think of him as anything else besides that
0: and uh and uh, and I guess it doesn't hurt to spoil it already but like Skyborn like we said it's told from Adari's point of view and then Paragon's told from Sila's point of view.
1: Right. So who was uh, the is, wife? Wife, yeah. Uh and then we'll get into how she's how becomes, she plays into yeah, it. Yeah, important later but.
0: Yeah. So with Skyborn uh like I said, uh we're in the town of Tav uh and uh, Adari Val comes home. She is the widow of a man called uh, Zarival and he was a Neshtavar uh, or an Uvak rider, And an Uvak is a large lizard creature with
1: wings. Right. And these were these flying creatures that we've mentioned before. And to, to be a Neshtavar or like one of these writers means that you're like an, an elite status in this caste system. You yep. know? So um, they were like basically the rock stars. They got the big houses, uh, everybody else had huts, you know, like this is very tribal type Stone Age technology, um, you know. But at the at the same time, you know, and so they have this kind of class system and you had basically the the religious priesthood and then you had these warrior type uh, elite writers.
0: Yep. And uh, so she comes home and there's uh, at home is Yulin uh U, uh E U L Y N, which I think is the
1: mother in law of a, of Adari. She does call her mom a few times. Yeah, but I don't get the feeling that it's her mother. I think it's no, yeah it's I uh, think it
0: was Zari's mom.
1: Yeah. The uh,
0: because they even talk about how she was allowed to stay in the house because it always goes to right. the matriarch of the writer. The house goes to the yeah. matriarch and uh so that Yulin so it's basically her mother
1: in law. Right. So uh, they they established pretty quickly that Zari died um, because his, uh,
0: his Yuvak
1: his Yuvak uh, what,
0: Nink, uh, N-I-N-K, Nink. uh, just basically like,
1: <laughs> flies dropped. over the ocean <laughs> and just like does the barrel roll and drops the ride <laughs> yep. like, and then flies back and like takes a nap like yep. this, <laughs> like, it's like the crappiest ride you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So Zari He's just like, gets dumped. Basically wasn't in Nink. battle, there was no yeah. glorious death.
0: Basically, Nink's like I don't like you. I'll fly you out here and I'll drop you off.
1: She <laughs> Just dropped them and flew back and gets to live the rest of this this uh you know winged creature's life just uh, just yep. chilling out in the backyard.
0: And Adari's kind of okay with it because Zari <laughs> evidently wasn't such a nice guy.
1: Yeah, she just kind of he was just kind of like a brute who just yep. was happy to be adored, you know, be in this elite status, but didn't really do much for her intellectually, you know. And she, I mean, she is. It does describe her as, you know, very intelligent and ahead of everybody else when it comes to um, believing in science as opposed yep. to, to religion and yeah, stuff. religion or the dogma of what they believe and yep. that kind of stuff.
0: So Adari is actually called a heretic by the townspeople because uh, she somehow offended the Skyborn, which is their gods.
1: So she comes home and like this, the community is all stoning her house. Yes. Uh, on a daily basis, like I don't understand really yes. Why, yes. why why they do this. They just stole well, the house we, all night long.
0: And we even find out that it was um, later that it it that's actually kind of subdued from what they used to do. What they used to do is if you offended the Skyborn, they just dragged you out and killed you.
1: Right, they would just beat you. But uh, <laughs> right. because she was wife of this uh, Nestovar, right, you know, then they'd, they they just stone the house.
0: Yep. <laughs> I don't and she's been meeting with the Neshavar several times. That's all we know so far. Um we do find out that Adari is is kind of like a geologist of sorts, uh, and she teaches that the lands were created by volcanoes, which is you know, scientific. Right. Um this what, actually. This, Yeah, this goes against uh their people's belief, which is that the skyborn above dropped their blood below and that created the land um and that there's also the other side which is seen as the bad and comes from below so the thought that a volcano which comes from below created the land is is sacrilege basically right so um so as a Adari is on a uh, trial with the nestivar uh which are known as the sons of the skyborn uh a fire and boom comes from the mountain uh which Adari knows should not be volcanic based on its rock that's there because, mm-hmm. again, she knows the science of it all. But Isri, which is the head of the Nashdavar, he points out that she must be wrong.
1: Yeah, that is some kind of sign because you know, it happened right at the time where she was like, prove me wrong.
0: And then yeah. pff,
1: when an explosion yeah. happens on top of the mountain, they're like, that's
0: it. And then which is the worst time for something like that to happen.
1: <laughs> I know. She's like, crap. You know, <laughs> so uh, anyway, so they she basically heads back to the to yeah. her house.
0: So, uh, so, yeah, so then we get into Chapter 2 where Dari returns to her home and sends Yulin with Adari's two kids uh, to her uncle's home. Yeah. Uh, the crowds uh, and Neshavar show up at her house, basically, to, to really... Kind of just uh, keep,
1: you know, throwing get, rocks at it.
0: Yeah, to get rid of her, basically. Yeah. Um, she escapes by getting on Nink and flying away.
1: Which I like that she was like, uh, she's kind of taking a risk even flying this animal because yeah. they say that rarely will... Uh, the Nink, or not the Nink, but you know, the, that's its well, name, but the uh, animal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, would, would let anybody else write it after their original writer died or something like that. Yeah. Um, and she even said that, or as she's writing it, he just kind of heads out to the ocean. She's like, oh crap, he's going to do the same thing to me <laughs> that he did <laughs> <Yep>. to Zari. <laughs> and uh, I think um, even at one point, she like almost falls off, but she grabs onto him.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they fly to where the fire is, and she. On the she, mountain. She sees Yep, and she sees what looks like a, a giant shell because, uh, again, she has no basis for yeah, what she's
1: never a, seen a, spaceship, or a anything.
0: spaceship looks like. Right? Um, she sees a man inside from some holes that are in the shell, um, and she sees a red light coming from his hand, and she's not sure if it's coming from his hand or if it is his hand or, or what. Um, she decides to approach from a different angle, so she dives down and starts climbing back up towards the shell, but something flies past her, almost causing her to fall off of Nink. Right. Uh, hmm. Wonder what that could have been falling from the <laughs> omen. <laughs> <laughs> uh She lands. She decides. She starts hearing like a calling in her name, uh, in her head, and she lands uh, a safe distance away. Um. Be, and she sees some other lights farther down the mountainside.
1: Yeah, like little fires.
0: Yep. Uh, she approaches by foot and was th- uh, all of a sudden thrown against a tree. Uh, by the Force, but she doesn't know it's the Force. She just knows she got thrown. Yeah. Um, she is then surrounded by several beings, all with magenta lights coming from their hands. Uh, of course, lightsabers. Right. Um, she doesn't understand their language, but feels her mind being invaded as images and words are flashing by. Um,
1: She's basically getting you know, like mind-pummeled uh, yeah. from the Force, from all these different people wondering who she is, where she came from. Um, yep. She gets specifically uh, mind-beaten by Sila yeah who is divorced you know woman. Uh, wife woman <laughs> female and uh the baby uh but she does she does kind of i guess uh, you know Yaru courseson the captain is the one who kind of initially contacts her and and kind of pulls her through that but
0: yeah and yeah, I was gonna say Yaru Corson actually introduces himself yeah. uh, in a way that she can understand so
1: right, but she kind of blacks out.
0: Yep. So days. then uh, we get into Chapter 3, and Adari slept for, um, we find out she slept for almost three days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she uh, she then works with Corson and Hestus, and Hestus is a rust-colored figure with, like, a shining mask covering part of his uh, acid-scarred face. Um, at, uh, Hestus has, like, this um, cyber- cybernetic part on him that uh, allows him to help translate languages.
1: Yeah, it's like a communicator... Yep. translator kind of thing so throughout what the how they communicate in their mind and the language she's overhearing they quickly learn her language the kashiri language yeah and then she slowly starts to pick up on theirs so yep. what this is establishing is just she's kind of an outcast from her own people um she's more scientifically minded so she ends up becoming the perfect kind of ambassador, like ambassador. Yeah, yeah like figure once she's learning their language a bit She's more open to their way of life and and the science of how they would be there, that kind of stuff.
0: Yep. And Adari promises to ride uh, Nink back to Tav and come back with help. And Sela doesn't trust Adari, but Corson does. Right. Um, Corson and his fellow Sith uh, were uh, welcomed greatly by the Kashiri, so we again jump into the future a little bit. And this is all still in Chapter 3. Uh, but right. we do we do jump a little bit in the future. Uh, the Kashiri believe that they're the Skyborn. Uh,
1: well, it's it's like a, it's like kind of a week, maybe two weeks later. Basically, yeah. as uh, she goes back to uh, the city and tells them, you know, hey, there are people on this mountain. That's what the explosion was from. And they start like ferrying the Sith uh, back to the city through multiple trips. You know, there's yeah. like I said, there's still hundreds of Sith there on the mountain. They bring him over and then they start to kind of do a little bit of communicating with, um, you know, the the Nashtavar leader, Isri, um, and convincing him that they are, well, basically that they're powerful. But, the, um, you know, the the Kashiri people think of them as, you know, the the Skyborn. They think of them as the gods.
0: And Corson basically proclaims that that's who they are.
1: Right, uh-huh. he's willing to accept it. He's like, sure, yeah. all right, we'll take yeah. we'll take advantage of that. And he does yeah. this, he proves it by initially just levitating things, um, but yeah. then actual people himself, and then doing like force jumps and all these kind of things that obviously are superhuman. And, right. you know, they think, oh, you know, of course this kind of pagan type society immediately thinks that you yeah. know, these are signs, that these are the gods returned.
0: And they immediately start putting the Kashiri to work, mining for materials to repair their ship. Uh, right. and they move into the our homes, so they kick the our out of their nice <laughs> homes.
1: Well, they become um, the elite status now.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Adari got to stay in her home since she was this, the ambassador for them. Right. Um, but Adari still felt something seemed, uh, all wrong about what was happening. Cause again, she's more science based, so the fact that these people are coming here now and saying that they're the Skyborn, she's, she's kind of doubtful of that, so.
1: Well, and it also, it, alludes to the fact that Adari is force sensitive because back on precipice when, uh, Corson sees the rider on the, on the animal, uh, you know, he, he, he can tell that he feels the force basically from whoever's up there. Yeah. And then towards the end of this book, you see that, um, you know, she, she realizes that Corson had basically dropped a person off of the edge yeah. Of the cliff, uh, that's what she had saw because she went to go investigate, and there was a person who, right, who floats out into the ocean, and basically talks to Yaru about it, and they he kind of convinces her to keep that quiet.
0: Yeah, and that's <laughs> and that's exactly what happened in uh, happens in chapter four is that Dari reveals to Corson that she saw him. Uh, before at the ship and uh, yeah. saw him throw something out and when she went to go get help for them she flew down to see what was there and here she saw that it was Corson's uh brother DeVore I mean she didn't know it was DeVore at the time just, but she yeah. that it was a being uh Corson convinced her that DeVore was a threat to his people so he had to do what was best for his people um and he and kind of related and then he also
1: said he's like yeah and murder's not such a big deal
0: Right. <laughs> well, because he relates it to uh, Zari, her husband, uh, right. passing away and saying he he wasn't such a nice guy, was he, and everything else. So, And,
1: of course, she hadn't mentioned that to him. So right. that's her indication that he's reading her mind or at least yep. her thoughts to a certain extent. And so he kind of persuades her to keep the divorce, uh event or whatever quiet. And yep. in return, uh, he will, he's going to help teach her or develop her force. Power
0: yep. Sith. And uh, Dari knows that the Sith will never find the metals that they need because, again, she's like kind of the geologist. Right. Um, she says they might be able to find it further down in the soil, but that would require a lot of time, and, which might not be
1: good for the Kashiri people. Right. So she's realizing quickly that they obviously aren't the Skyborn. That they're they do have powers, but it doesn't mean they're gods. Yeah. Uh, and also that they're going to be here for a long time if they're because she knows there's just not. Metals in the uh, in the ground or anywhere that she has excavated or or you know tried to discover, so yep. like she said, if it's there it's really deep, and that's going to take a long time to get to. <laughs> Emerging from the dark humor that was the Beast Unleashed
0: Podcast, Steve Megatron, TFG1 Mike, Picon Court Michael, and the Cybertronian correspondent Optimus Solo move on to Transformers Animated with Transformation Animation Podcast. 20 episodes covering all three seasons of the cartoon, the books, and the awesome toy line. We'll also have cast and crew interviews, so get tapped with GCRN's next Transformers franchise podcast. Transformation Animation Podcast, available on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com get
1: your tap on Decepticons transform and rise up movie week in review is the Geekcast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts they also bring in co-hosts at times if you are a movie buff listen to M-Wire only on geekcastradio.com If you a fan of gaming, then check
0: out GCRN's first ever gaming podcast, Extreme Retro Gaming. It's your one-stop shop for emulation, retro, and modern gaming. Hear talk on your favorite games from classic consoles the current day. The show will feature one-shots on a single game every single episode. So stay tuned in for Extreme Retro Gaming, only on
1: the Kickcast Radio Network.
0: And then we get into Paragon.
1: Uh, right. So this, now we're getting into the third
0: yeah. uh, novella. And this is uh, takes place 4,985 years before the Battle of Yavin. So 15 years have passed now.
1: Yeah, and this was a weird jump for the first book, and then the second book does happen right after that.
0: Yeah.
1: It, it and, kind of made me wonder why that was even broken up into two. Yeah but I mean, I, I guess think, just the size I think of it, it was
0: the, uh, well, and I also think it was for the, the viewpoint difference. Cause again, oh, probably, you know, yeah. you have Corson's viewpoint in the first story and then you have Adari's viewpoint in the second story.
1: Right.
0: Um, and, uh, and then this, uh, Paragon kind of brings the two together and we jump, you know, we jump ahead and now we're, see- we, we actually find out and I didn't realize it until I was getting near the end of the story that we're now seeing everything from Cela's point of view. Um, so we're 15 years uh, now have, have have gone by, and the Kashiri uh, whole way of life centers around pampering uh, the Skyborn. Right. And Cela uh, is now the wife of Corson, and they have a daughter together. Yeah. Uh, the Omen has had stone structures built around it, and it's made to more look to look more like a temple.
1: That the uh, Kashiri that they've, they've had the sherry basically build kind of like slave labor. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and they like carve stone steps up to it and right. all this crazy stuff. And we have like, um, Sela is like taking, uh, has like a, a servant who's named Tilden. And he's just there to kind of like be her, do her every whim, like whatever okay. she just needs. A body
1: servant. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He takes care of it for her. um, this is really the story that this this novella is really the story that makes me remember, holy crap, these people are Sith. Like, right. They seemed all nice and friendly there for a while. And I'm like, oh, wait, these are bad guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was kind of, you know, a little bit of backbiting and machinations and things that were happening in fighting. You know, you could tell after how quickly that started breaking down after they crash landed. But for the most part, it's not like they were all out evil. They were right. just kind of doing their job as a, navy, as a navy, right? Right, right. Which you don't think of the Sith as being that organized to even have a navy, but right. Um,
0: but the uh, but like even in the first story, Corson seems like he's a nice guy,
1: right? You're, um, you're totally backing him. You think he's you know, right a cool Han Solo type character, you know.
0: And then you start realizing, no, these are Sith. These are these are the bad guys. They they follow the dark path. So yeah, uh, you definitely find that out in in Paragon. So um, so Cila uh uh Gloyd actually approaches Sela and Corson and is trying to think of ways to get off the planet unsuccessfully um yeah. and uh supplies are de- are depleting uh that they had on the ship and they they could have and these are supplies that they could have used to try to get off the planet um there's no metal on the planet so it's been confirmed mm-hmm. uh Corson has Ravalon who was the person that took care of the masasi and he doesn't have that job anymore so he has Ravlon compiling an ancestry review of all those remaining from the crash but only those that are human so he doesn't care about the sith that sith species that's there
1: right and it, it's revealed that there's 57 yes who are pure blood red sith right out of the say 300 that landed
0: yep and corson is now known as the grand lord uh, and the chapter ends with Corson leaving for lunch with Adari, so now he has like daily meetings with Adari uh, at this point
1: yeah that's I mean I guess it'll get revealed in later you know later stories but which I haven't read ahead of this yet, but i I found this really weird, like yeah. okay, so he's married to Sila and all right I get well even that's weird, but that he married his uh, half brother's wife, but I kind of right. get that you know she's gonna she's gonna make the play for power, and he mm-hmm. doesn't have anybody, so okay. But that he still meets with Adari, and they don't even, I mean, like, I think it says Sila kind of has these meetings spied on or whatever, so she yeah. knows what's being said or what's going on, and it's and not she, even about anything important.
0: Yeah, and she doesn't care that it's, um, that the meeting, if the meetings were, like, I guess sexual or something like that. She doesn't care if, right. if he's cheating on her. he She cares more that she doesn't trust Adari and what she's planning. So... Right. Uh, so we get into chapter two where we kind of talk about that where it's uh, we get a glimpse of the past uh, for Sela among the Sith Lords before being on Kash and she had been given the honor of attending to Lord Kresh's feet. So we had uh, Ludo Kresh.
1: Oh yeah, this was a this was a strange flashback. I guess it just gives us more perspective on Sela, and since this was told from her point of view, yeah. Um, but it was a kind of an inter- interesting to leave this time period and to all of right. a sudden introduce flashbacks into the short stories. Well, here's
0: one of the things I thought of as far as why we were seeing some of these flashbacks is we were seeing how the Sith species treated the human species. Okay. And I think that's important because now we start seeing how the human Dark Lords are treating the Kashiri people, which is treating them the exact same way that they had been treated by the Sith species before. Right. So they thought, like, oh, they, they, you know, the humans were thinking that worked for the the Dark Lords of the Sith uh, thought that they were being treated poorly, but then they land on this planet where they're the big shots and they're treating the, the native people the exact same way.
1: Well, I think it's just kind of learned behavior that with power comes this ability. Right. Or this, you know, this is how you treat those who, you know, they're not going to go out and build a temple for themselves, so who do right. you get to do it? The Kashiri, you know, because they're right.
0: there. Yeah, so uh, I just I just found that a very interesting. Yeah,
1: no, that's a good point because it does uh, gives that gives you that perspective of the the human Sith versus the red you know right. pure blooded Sith and how they were treated, yeah. and then of course uh, which gives you the motivation or the understanding of what happens later.
0: Yeah, so uh, so we find that Sela's marriage to Corson in this chapter we find out was pretty much one of convenience. Uh, she gained some stature, and he gained someone uh, that he could talk to who also did who also wanted to stay on cash. Cause remember almost everyone else is thinking that they're any day now they're going to be leaving.
1: They're trying to get off the planet and he is the one who's realistic. And I guess her too, to a certain extent that that's not possible.
0: Yeah. And it's they just, realize they have yeah. a good life there too.
1: Yeah. They're being <laughs> served. Yeah. There's no reason not to.
0: Right. Uh, so we find out uh, at this point that uh, the Sith's offspring, so the Sith species uh, are, their offspring are not living long uh, where the humans are thriving uh, and that right. there has been no offspring from any interactions of the Sith or the humans that had crash landed with the Kashiri. So there had been some, you know, hanky panky going on between <laughs> the Kashiri and those that crash landed, but there's been no offspring from that. And the right. Sith offspring are dying like after just a matter of months, a lot of times. So.
1: And it kind of makes you kind of figure out that whatever um, was killing off the Masasi. Right. You know, maybe to a certain extent was uh just a pro or prolonged effect, you know, is on, killing on, the
0: Sith, yeah. Yeah.
1: But just not maybe not not the Sith themselves or at least not as quickly, but certainly they they can't reproduce and you know the offspring aren't strong enough or yeah. know, whatever it is. It's all kind of connected there.
0: Or or, or so we so we're led to believe. Right, exactly. Um, and uh so then we also find out that the uh they over this time of a uh, time period they had the religion basically changed of the Kashiri people. They looked into the past and they, uh, they no longer wanted to be known as the Skyborn. They wanted to be known as the protectors and that their opponents were the destructors. So that goes back to what I was reading before yeah. we, we got into these stories. Um, so they pulled from that history to then call themselves the protectors. And one of the reasons for doing this is because if you remember the, the Neshtar, uh, Neshtavar were known as the sons of the Skyborn, and they didn't want any, kashiri to be known that close in relation to them
1: right because it gave them that sense of power right that was on at least not maybe not on their same level but even related they didn't want it
0: yeah um so then we have uh, corson and sila are alerted at the end of the chapter that there is a problem and they ask if ravelin is dying um and they and they're told no but everyone else is and that ends that chapter
1: right so um, and basically well Ravlin was sent on a on a mission yeah um to uh, to the the different lakes right it was the the yes. Ragnos lakes and then um, some different villages basically he's he was there just um just kind of i mean Ravlin is basically given had, he's kind of given menial tasks almost because he has nothing to do like remember his i mean his purpose wasn't in being in charge of the Sassi, so yeah uh, he was told to investigate you know different you know, ways to light Sith structures. You know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah,
1: you know, well, since we don't have electricity, you know, how do we, how do we light our temples? You know, and all this kind of stuff. So uh, he was kind of sent on this mission to go find that out, and he was sent with, though, a lot of the, you know, the, the Red Sith. Yep,
0: yeah, the Red Sith. Yeah, and uh, another thing I wanted to mention too, because I was just remembering this, is you mentioned the Ragnos Lakes. Um, the the uh those that crash landed here have started renaming everything um so there's the Ragnos Lakes which oh yeah which are named after Marco Ragnos who we mentioned earlier and then the mountain that that they crashed on was known as T- the Takara Mountains uh T A K A R A because that was Corson's mother's name and right. it cracked me up when I read that though cuz again I love seeing the Starjo's connections where you see like stuff intertwined, similar names and everything else. T- <laughs> Takara is known in Transformers. Right. Uh, the Japanese a, company. The Japanese company that created Transformers. So it cracked me up to see Takara. And it's spelled the exact same way. Yeah, that's
1: so. immediately what I thought of. I was like, I've got Takara Transformers. Does this mountain transform? <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome.
0: <laughs> um, so then we get into chapter three, and we see that the town of Tetsubul uh, was was all dead. Everyone's dead in it.
1: It's just like mass genocide. Yeah. Everybody's dead.
0: Um, except for it was Ra- like,
1: Oh, I mean hundreds of what, like a hundred thousand people or something or more. It was
0: like 18,000 people, I think.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Initially it was, it yeah, was just
0: 18,000. Just with yeah. the city. Right. You're right. Um, and the only person that's alive is Ravelin. Uh, no one knows what happened or how it happened. Uh, and they believe it's a possible plague. Uh, right. All of the protectors uh, were called back to the Omen because of it uh, without causing a panic. And Sela seemed to have seen something in a corpse that sparked a memory of something she saw back at the medical ward. So she returns there.
1: And that was kind of – she either took that upon herself or that was kind of a job given to her to be in charge of the health and the medical ward. And so we learned that pretty early on in the story too. But So that allows for her to be aware of this type of – warning sign that she goes yeah. back she's like i need to get back right now and they don't yeah. really know why but she takes off
0: and she kind of insisted to be in charge of the, the medical yeah board and everything okay. else early on in the stories um so the rioters uh start coming in from several different towns uh with news of death in the towns around ragnos lake so any of the a lot of the towns that were around ragnos lake they're all completely dead also and uh but it's like a day later or something like that that they start okay. hearing a. Hearing about that, um, about the other towns, because there's no news that comes back about any other towns, and then it's like the next day, all of a sudden, all these towns are dead, and it's like over a hundred thousand Kashiri that are dead. Right. So then we, we have, uh, like I said, they, they all come back, and Sila revealed, uh, to Corson that there's a compound called cyan, uh, cyanogen, uh, silicate, and it was kept. In the ward for treating the Masasi, because the Masasi were really tough, and the only thing that could penetrate their thick hide was the cyanogen uh, silicate. Right. In the past, it was used by Ravelin, you know, for for taking care of, of treating the Masasi, uh, but it also has an adverse effect, which is uh, pretty much instant death if it's combined with water.
1: Right, and it would affect, um, you know, it was used to treat the Masasi, but it was toxic to other species, like humans and you know obviously the Kashiri
0: right and so corson so she's basically blaming Sela's blaming uh ravelin for for doing this and corson can't believe that someone would intentionally do this uh but Sela pointed out that they would if they were desperate to to give a reason to not stay on the planet
1: right
0: uh so then corson says uh to call everyone in and that it's time and we don't know what it's time for just yet and and that's the end of chapter 3 So, so then in chapter four, we actually find out what it was time for. (laughs) Which is that the humans from the omen basically kill all the Sith in battle. Uh, All the Sith species. They're, they're, they're stringing up their bodies on pikes, uh, strategically placed all over. Uh, Selah actually has Ravalin strung up and has water being dropped on him that wasn't that infected water. We find out that Ravalin only meant to have the town of Tetzable die, and he's so like,
1: so the town that he was in personally,
0: right? He wanted that town to, to die, so this way it would make Corson uh, want to leave the planet, uh, so they could get away from this plague. Right. And he, he's like, I don't know how it got to the other towns, and you know, and it wasn't supposed to happen this way. And then we find out that Selah reveals that she's the one that sent some of her own trusted riders out to the. Uh, to infect the other towns that Ravlin and his men had been sent out to scout just the previous day.
1: Right. So she knew she knew just through her husband's plans or, you know, the, she was in that meeting, right, where Ravlin gets sent the order to go right. where all of the people he was in charge of would be. So then she sends some like like you said, trusted basically like spies to go and infect all the places that they were at. So it kind of, I mean, it was Ravelin's plan initially to infect right. that one city, and then, she,
0: and then she identified what he did right away from seeing that corpse. So she was like, "Well, I could use this in my favor."
1: Right. So she then goes immediately goes out and infects all of those, like Ragnos Lake villages. You know, the total of villages. Right. So then it just multiplies, you know, by ten times almost. You know, yeah. You know, five times as many uh, people die, yeah. basically from Sealas' hands, not. Not Ravlin, Ravlins. Yeah. But
0: the all the blame falls onto Ravalin, and no one knows that it was Sela, except for now Rovelin knows.
1: And not just um, Ravalin, but any red Sith, because yes. you know they think, oh, this is the red Sith making a play to kill off not only just the Kashiri, but all the other, you know, non Sith species. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the, the humans, of course, retaliate and kill all the Sith, right. which was all part of Sela's plan. Yeah. Um Sela also reveals, and this is the really sick part. Sela also reveals that she was the reason that the Sith children didn't live long, and that the Sith had been weakening over time. So she was, remember, in charge of the medical facility, which of course takes care of new births. Right. Um, and she was doing stuff to the children to ensure that they would that they wouldn't live very long. And that the humans would would live long, and she's probably also the reason why there was no offspring from the Kashiri either when there was interactions between them. Um, so she basically killed children, uh, helped to yeah. kill children, and everything else. Um, and and like I said, the Sith were also getting very weak. And you know, you go into the medical facility to get treatment, and you come out even weaker, basically.
1: Right. So she was behind it all. Is she had this vision of a purely Human Sith tribe, right? Yep. Which is what she was going for. And then we get to the point where the only non human Sith is uh, Gloid. Yeah. The, that big kind of Hulk.
0: Yep. And Ravalin, uh is then killed by the person that was dumping the water on him. And we find out that that was Jared, which was Selah's son.
1: Yeah, Devor, Devor and Cela's baby, you know, for yeah. the first two stories.
0: Yeah, and uh, Jariad says to to Cela that he's not interested in Ravelin's death, but yes, uh, but in someone else besides Ravelin. And Cela assures him to be patient because she has been patient all along. Right. And I think it's no surprise that who she's referring to and who he's referring to is Corson.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, that they both blame Corson for Devor's death. And or, you know, as far as they know, he's dead. So, um, and then so then, this is the part that shocked the hell out of me. So then,
1: yeah, this, this kind of came out of nowhere. This, yeah, like, this last part.
0: So then we see that Cilis servant Tilden uh, head into town of, the, of Tav, and he passes some guards and he goes through a waterfall of mountain water, uh, and then inside is a secret group that's plotting the fall of the protectors and leading the meeting is adari and right. she and she claims that she is the one who brought this plague on them and she will be the one to end
1: it right so it was adari who placed tilden Sila's body servant yes. to keep working for Sila so that he could provide intelligence so basically tilden this whole time has been a spy and adari kind of has a full picture of what the sith are like and that they are that they're not you know that they're basically they are a kind of an evil species they're yep. taking advantage of the kashiri obviously they're being oppressed at this point point. Yep. and uh, she's vowing, basically to bring it into the sith
0: and the the interesting thing with it too is a, the adari being a, in charge of this uh whole you know conspiracy thing isn't what surprised me it was tilden that surprised me <laughs> right
1: yeah cuz i mean earlier on you see, you see him kind of advising sela and just doing anything she wanted and just kind of being very subservient to her Right, and then to find out, you're like, oh man, this character is way more complex than I thought. So
0: right, and and you know, peop- and the reason he was acting that way is because if he acts that way, then she doesn't expect anything, so she do- won't read his mind or anything like that.
1: Yeah, and I mean everything. I mean they just considered servants just you know uh, trivial and, and uh, you know not like they weren't they didn't mean anything, so they were just saying anything in front of him. You know. Yeah. And uh, he so he was privy to all of these kind of secret meetings and stuff just because he was her slave and there all the time.
0: Yeah, and and like I said, once I read that, I was like, holy crap! I want to read the next <laughs> the next novella. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So what we have, uh, and we can talk more about some background information. But what we have coming up then is the the next three that we'll be reading for the next show mm-hmm. is uh, the novella number four, five, and six. And- Which is
0: uh, Savior. Uh, purgatory and sentinel
1: yeah so it's those three respectively in, in a row yeah and that's going to wrap up this kind of cash story
0: right and yeah and so we're gonna we'll read those three and then we'll get into some other books there's a couple other books that came out uh, uh, some
1: and, old republic books
0: yes and then we come back to the lost Right. That's there. true. Yeah. yeah. For uh, some other. Well, some other.
1: basically along the same timeline, because the same
0: timeline, yes.
1: It's we we do have a gap uh, at by the end of the the sixth novella, we're closer to uh, you know in the three thousand know, nine hundred years before the Battle of Yavin, yeah. And then we have about a three hundred year gap that we're going to talk about the Old Republic stuff, and we come back to the planet Kash and the Lost Tribe of the Sith stuff. Eventually, at three thousand uh, years before the Battle of Yavin. So, yeah. this this time period is basically, I, I guess there's there's got to be a huge jump coming up. Yeah, in, there is in, a huge in jump in the fifth out. and sixth novella. I mean, almost a thousand year jump.
0: Yeah.
1: So, and then we'll find out the last two novellas. There's another thousand year jump. So yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah there's going to be, be quite a bit jumps. of stuff happening. Yeah, because a lot of the Tales of the Jedi stories, uh, and Old Republic stories take place like around three, three thousand, four thousand years. Right. Um, uh, and, e- and even closer to the Battle of Yavin than that, uh, in some cases. But, uh, these stories, like we said, have, uh, have been taking place right around five thousand years. Yeah. Um, now there are some comics that take place during this time period. Uh, and it's Golden Age of the Sith. And the fall of the Sith Empire. So those are two trades that are out there. You can actually find if you, uh, what's out there nowadays is there's omnibus editions of Tales of the Jedi and there's a volume one and a volume two. And in the volume one is, uh, Golden Age of the Sith and the fall of the Sith Empire. And that's where you get a lot of the backstory of Marka, uh, Marka Ragnos, Ludo Kresh and. Oh, okay. And gotcha. um, I am going to read just a little bit, a very little bit about, cause I don't want to spoil those stories for anyone, uh, but just a little bit about Nagasato since he's kind of the prominent one that we talk about here. Um, and again, it's from Wikipedia. So who knows how much of it's true, but from what I read <laughs> of it, uh, I do agree with what's put on here. So Nagasato also known as Darth Nagasato was a male Sith Lord and renowned dark side magician during the days of the, of the first Sith empire. Uh, Sato has ancestors among both humans and Sith species of the planet Zyost. He rose to prominence in the final days of the Sith golden age. When Marka Ragnos, the reigning dark Lord of the Sith passed away, leaving the mantle of dark Lord vacant Uh, during Ragnos's funeral, Sato engaged in a duel with rival Sith Lord Ludo crash for the Ragnos, for Ragnos's title only to have their contest ended by the specter of the deceased Dark Lord himself. After a brief admon- admonition, uh, the Ghost departed while issuing a warning to both Sado and Kresh, stating that the fate of the Sith Empire hung on the balance of their decision on how to proceed with leadership of the Sith people. So.
1: And that, that all takes place in the Tales of the Jedi?
0: Yeah, that all That's takes place in the Tales of the Jedi stories. And I will tell you, the Tales of the Jedi stories are my, like, next to Dark Empire in the comics,
1: right.
0: Tales of the Jedi are my next favorite Star Wars stories ever told. Wow,
1: okay.
0: Um, I think that highly of them. Uh, the You get uh, in Golden Age of the Sith and uh, Fall of the Sith Empire, is it takes place in one time period, and then... We get some other ones that I'll mention uh, in a future episode that take place in the, you know, how, how we were saying that we jump ahead. Uh, there's some stories that take place in that jump ahead.
1: Right. Uh
0: And that's where you get characters like, you may have heard me mention before, like XR Kuhn and Eulett Keldroma <clears throat> and yeah. stuff like that. So. I'll mention those comics when we get to that time period, but these two trades, um, take place. The, the golden age of the Sith and the fall of the Sith empire take place during this exact same time period of what we're reading right now. Yeah. And, uh, they deal with Nagasato, Ludo Kresh and Marka Ragnos. Um, and it's, it's a pretty cool story and it's written by Kevin J. Anderson, who you've mentioned, heard me mention before as, as a writer that I really like for Star Wars. So yeah.
1: Um,
0: so I, I would recommend checking those out. Very cool. The only other thing I wanted to mention, because uh, I want to do it, like I mentioned, I want to do it each episode, and I think this book pertains to what we're reading in a, in a way, is there's a book, uh, again, wanted to mention a book that is not story necessarily that's driven into what we're going to be covering. Uh, and this episode, I wanted to mention, there's a book out there called Star Wars, The Book of the Sith. Um, I do not own this one. Uh, there's a Jedi version and then there's a Sith version, but the, I wanted to mention the book of the Sith because it goes into the past of the Sith history. Oh, okay. uh, so it's definitely one that I, I do want to eventually get, uh, and you can get it for like 12 bucks. Uh, and okay. it's just like, it's like a little hardcover type thing. So, so I would, I would definitely check that out if you like this early days of the Sith and want to know where the Sith empire came from. I check that out. I check out those comics that I mentioned, and I check out these short stories that we're reading right now because, again, you can get at least these ones for free, um, and right, they're yeah. they're worth reading. So,
1: yeah, I think I think especially as you get into it, like my overall opinion of it was just at first I was like, you know, kind of where's this going? There's all characters I've never heard of, and I don't know, you know, what this has to do with anything. But very quickly, because there's such a quick read, um, you do get into it, and by the time it gets all together, I, I really enjoyed kind of seeing the Sith kinda of work against each other and you know, you really get a sense of who these you know, who this these characters are and everything.
0: Yeah, so. and I will say that I like like I said, the first the precipice story, I was kinda like, okay, this is kinda all over the place. We're already jump like the first few pages were already jumping right in the middle of a battle and I don't even know these characters. Yeah. Um yeah. and but then when we got into the story of Adari, that was more of like an introduction to a character. That felt more like an introduction to a character. So I liked that story a little bit more. And then by the time we got to Paragon, I really was liking this and yeah. seeing how it all came together. And Sela is a total danger. I mean, she's <laughs> she's, she's nasty. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see in the fourth novella, are we going to get it from another character's perspective? Or are we going to go back to one of these other characters that we, we've come to know already? Like, will we now get Tilden's perspective or something like that? Right. Um so so it'll be interesting to see if which character they focus on in the next in the next novella.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um but I definitely liked this the more I went into it. So if you read the first novella again it's like 30 pages and you're like, "Eh, it was okay." Read the next one again. They're they're yeah, each only 30 worth- pages. I mean, they're well worth reading, so. Yeah. Um so uh, did you have any other thoughts that you wanted uh, in regards to this before we close up?
1: No, no. As far as the, um, yeah, as far as the books, no. I'm just kind of excited to read the next three. Uh, I'm really, I mean, I do enjoy these, but I'm kind of actually more excited to get into the Old Republic books. Yeah. Um, mostly because I can listen to those again. I don't have to yeah. actually read a book book. <laughs> <laughs> I can just listen to it. But um, I, I was sitting there in bed reading this like on my iPad, and my wife's like, "You're reading." I was like, yes, I can read. I just choose not to. <laughs> and she's like, what are you reading? Like, what's so good that you're taking the time to read? I was like, oh, it's a Star Wars book. And she just rolled her eyes. And I'm like, oh. I'm not talking to you anymore tonight.
0: I was going to say, if she was if she was excited about you reading, uh, you could tell her, well, my good friend Ryan – is the one that got me reading again. And then she would think highly of me, but then as she rolled her eyes because it was star Wars, it's not such a good idea for you to tell her that.
1: Like leave me out of the conversation. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I mean, she's, it was just kind of a funny conversation. I don't think she yeah. cares either way, but
0: well, and, and I don't know how many other books in the future you're going to have to actually read, read, um, but at least with this one, it is um, short in inter- intervals, so you don't you don't have to do so much actual real reading. Um, it's not like me where you have to read 300 pages. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: For the next episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's not too many others. There are some other ebooks like there's a Darth Maul one. There's Right. I mean, but these are way down the road. I mean, these are getting way closer to the Battle of Yavin stuff.
0: And I think even those ebook ones, like the Darth Maul and stuff like that, I think even those are like a hundred pages. I don't think they're
1: they're
0: very big.
1: And we're, we're not doing the, um, the young adults, right?
0: No, we're not doing the young adult ones.
1: Okay. So yeah, Um, I mean, for the most part, everything that's out there typically is available on, on audiobooks, but there might be a few that I'll end up having to read.
0: Yeah. And I, and, Anything that comes from the young adult ones, hopefully I'll have some information, like if it's pertinent to what we're reading about. Yeah, because
1: uh, that would come across in other resource materials yeah. you have, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And and there's certain characters that are going to show up. Like There's uh, one series of books that I think there's an audio version for that's not in our timeline, but I think it might be good for us to cover anyways, that were tied into the Dark Forces video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not the Force Unleashed, but there's Dark Forces video game. The reason I mention it is because there's a character named Kyle Katarn that's the main character in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Um, but he actually shows up in a lot of the later books. And it's like, okay, maybe it might be good to see his origins, read those origins. So we'll see when we get close to that. Um, one thing I did want to mention also when it comes to these stories that we're reading right now on the Lost Tribe of the Sith, yeah. Um, these characters become relevant again in late in later books. Um not so much the characters but this this lost tribe. Right. Um because there's Fate of the Jedi book series that takes place many that's years right. afterwards. And the Lost Tribe of the Sith actually plays a factor in those books and those stories. And in fact there's a book that's called Omen.
1: <laughs> oh, okay
0: and i wonder where that name came from
1: <laughs> well there's um if you go to the wikipedia link like if you look up just kind of a uh, the the timeline of books on yes. wikipedia right gives you a whole list of all the books and if you click on the title of any of these lost tribe of the sith so you click on that it takes you to the specific wikipedia page of of one of these short stories if you scroll to the bottom yeah you have all these external links which is basically you know based on like the where the, they got it from the author's like, notes and and stuff and you can actually click on that, and it's interesting. That takes you to a whole other page away from Wikipedia um, that's uh, just kind of like this author himself yeah. has his own little web page. And, yeah. and you, you can read all this behind-the-scenes stuff about his thoughts going into it, like what uh, – his opinions of other uh, Star Wars books. And and then he does actually go into the Fate of the Jedi stuff, how um, – you know, how that, how it kind of starts to pertain to it and all that kind of stuff. So that's all, it's all connected if you follow these links and then you can kind of get a little behind the scenes stuff from the author himself. It's kind of neat. Yep.
0: And one thing, uh, speaking of authors, uh, John Jackson Miller, this might surprise you, especially since again, I'm kind of enjoying this story so far. Um, that his night errant book, which we will, will be one of the books that we cover, um, like I said, I wasn't a big fan of the comic, but I might like the book. And right. uh, and maybe the book will cause me to like the comic a little bit more, uh, like we talked about before. But right. Knight, his book, Knight Errant, was his very first uh, prose book that, got, that was published. Right. Like ever. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so I'm thinking, because I don't think he's written anything else, I think Lost Tribe of the Sith is his second time of writing a book, like a book uh-huh. book. So... Um, so I, I think he's doing a pretty good job so far.
1: Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, I liked how it was, everything was told that, you know, I think uh, we mentioned before too, we'll see some highs and lows yeah. in the, the quality of books that are written. I think that these are, you know, really competent, well-written. I, yeah. I care about the characters. I'm getting to know them. I, so I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. And, and once I read that, I kind of looked back at these stories and I was like, okay, I can kind of see some of that new writer, maybe, things that weren't as cohesive as they could have been. Um, you know, he's trying, maybe there's points where he was trying to cram it into 30 pages, where maybe if he'd gone 33 pages, he would have been better. <laughs> well,
1: um, it kind of makes me wonder too, like, it's hard to say since we haven't read them all yet, what's going to come into play later. Right. But there are times where he was spending time, like, telling us about Adari's two kids and right. her mother-in-law, where I'm kind of like, this is...
0: I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> how is this
1: pertinent to the story? So there were times where he would go into detail about stuff for like, I, you know, how but is it this might, even...
0: Yeah, but it might play a factor later. Like, exactly. W- yeah, like, to give you an example of it, is I wasn't writing anything down about Tilden at all because I didn't care about right. Tilden. And then all of a sudden I read the end, and I was like, holy crap, i got to put some stuff in here about Tilden early on because he's going to be a factor later. <laughs> and even the first
1: book to the second book, all of a sudden, uh, or the... The third book, Selah, you know, all of a sudden, right? You know, in the first part, yeah, she was a, you know one of the major characters, but certainly not to the extent that we would see her by the end of the third book.
0: Yeah, I didn't mention so, much about Selah at first either, and then again, she became uh, very prevalent. And her son, Jared. Uh, yeah, exactly. He was the one who
1: killed Ravelin. So
0: yeah, so it, it I, kind
1: of makes you wonder. You know, I guess we should save our criticism if if we have any toward till the end because yeah. Then, because some yeah. of this might come into play that we don't know right. where of yet. So.
0: Absolutely. So, um, all right, well, let me go ahead and give our information out. Cool. Uh, and as always, you know, please, uh, give us some feedback. We'd love to hear like what you're thinking about these episodes. Are they helping you with the expanded universe a little bit, uh, to understand maybe a little bit more of other time periods of, in star Wars. um, Again, I always like to try to relate it to the movies. That's why I mentioned the Masasi Temple and, and things like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: that, that was really cool. I didn't know about that at all.
0: Yeah, and you'll actually find uh, Yavin 4 plays a role in those comics that I was talking about. Cool. So uh, so you, you'll find out. And that temple, that Yavin 4, that Masasi Temple, plays a factor in some of our future stories, too, that we're going to read. So... Um, I, I know specifically the, the Jedi Academy trilogy, the Masasi Temple plays a factor in there. Right, so. That's
1: true. Yeah. So,
0: um, so it's not the first time, like a lot of these things will get revisited down the line. So, uh, so they do all become part of a bigger universe, which is really cool when, when you are reading it all, because it starts, you know, where maybe you read one book or two books and you're like, well, it was okay, but I didn't really care about it. When you start reading them all, you start realizing, okay, this book ties into this one, and this character is in this book, but he's also in this book, and he's also in this comic and everything else. And yeah. it starts making you like it better. And like I said, that I'm interested once we're done with this, uh, these collected stories to go back and reread that miniseries, the Lost Tribe of the Sith miniseries, and see if I like it better than I did the first time I read it. Yeah. So, so, um, But you can find us at StarJoes.com. You can find us at theforumforgeeks.com. Uh, Just You can register there and you can scroll down find Star Joes and talk with us every day. Uh, You can find us on Facebook. We have a fan page and a profile page. The fan page is probably the one that's the most active. Uh, That's where you can find comic reviews and random posts and you can chat with us again every day on there. Um, You can call us and leave us a voicemail. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-JOES. Leave us a voicemail. Please leave us an iTunes review. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, would appreciate uh, an iTunes review, and we always read them on our episodes. So,
1: uh, especially do that. considering we've kind of started expanding yes. some of these, uh, you know, side side podcasts uh, with, with the GI Joe animated review and with the Star Wars kind of with the extra shows we've got on the side. You know, if you I want to comment on those in the in the iTunes reviews that'd be awesome
0: yeah and we're definitely going to get back to the animated reviews probably pretty soon So, because um, yeah. I'm kind of chomping at the bit to get back to those uh, a little bit along with doing these these books as well um, and then uh, you can email us It's starjo's at gmail.com and you can follow us on Twitter it's at starjo's podcast. Uh, you can also listen to us on Stitcher Radio. It's the smart way to listen. It's a free app for your mobile devices, and you can make Star Joe's one of your favorites and listen there. Um, I think that's pretty much everything. So, uh, Robert, where can they find you?
1: Uh, I have, you can go to my blog. It's robertatkinsart.blogspot.com, and you can email me directly through that uh, website. Uh, also, I have a Facebook page, Robert AtkinsArt, and Twitter is at Robert Atkinsart. Uh, if you want to see a more extensive gallery, you can go to... Uh, Robert Atkins at or I'm sorry uh, www.robertatkins.deviantart.com and that has a gallery of a lot of my stuff
0: and uh, in this month's previews you can find uh, the castle book from Marvel where Robert uh, did some of the art in there so
1: yeah that's what I'm working on right now I'm doing as far as just my work what I'm on is uh, yeah I'm doing a couple issues of castle which will be out uh, in the spring early summer I think where the uh, where the trade comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also doing all the artwork on the Nerf zombie guns, the line of guns that are uh, zombie related and uh, a number. And, and in fact, Star Wars related stuff. I'm working on the the artwork that's on the Star Wars Black series of figures. So. Yeah,
0: you bastard. It's um, awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. Uh, I, I'm I will be proud to be able to point to people, uh, tell people in the store like, hey, I know the guy <laughs> that did the art there. They won't know who I am. But I will, <laughs> I will stop random strangers and say, "Hey, see that art? I know who did that." Uh, here, listen to Stardos, and I'll hand them a, a business card. <laughs> Give
1: them a card, yeah.
0: Right. So. And high
1: five on the way out the door.
0: Exactly. So, um, and I'll tell them they have to buy the figures because I need this line to continue like forever. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> I'm having a really hard time finding these on the shelves.
0: Yeah, I have um, to start
1: ordering them or something.
0: I like the only one I haven't been able to find is. A uh, single carded Boba Fett. I do have the San Diego Comic Con Boba Fett, um, but I cannot find him single carded at all. Uh, yeah. I have all the rest of them uh, that have come out so far. So,
1: man, I gotta uh, do more shopping.
0: Yeah, so
1: um,
0: I definitely found pre-ordering is is the way to go. So, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's the only way. I'm, I think I'm gonna get them all if I want to get yeah. them all.
0: Yeah, so all right. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and close by saying the Force will be with you.
1: As no one else is half the battle.
0: Take care, everyone.